Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Hey, welcome to Liquid Church. Glad you're here for our series, My Crazy Family. Speaking of family, we need to welcome our church family who's joining us all across New Jersey. We've got Essex, Middlesex Union, Somerset Counties. Would you guys welcome them? We're glad you're with us today. Praise God for you. Glad you're part of our family. Today, we're talking about how to handle crazy makers in your life. Now, just quick show of hands. How many of you would say you got a crazy maker in your family? Just someone who drives you nuts, okay? Wow, a lot, lot of hands, okay? If you're not raising your hand, maybe it's this guy, okay? Just saying, maybe you're the crazy maker. Crazy maker's just somebody who kind of drives you nuts. Could be their words or their behavior, their pattern of relating in the family can be controlling or manipulative. Maybe they generate all this kind of emotional drama, you know, wherever they go, which makes you kind of question their sanity. Or they kind of play mind games, which makes you kind of wonder, am I going crazy? Kind of second guess yourself. The truth is this. There are a lot of crazy makers in life, but there's nobody who can drive you as crazy as your family. Sometimes it's those who we love the most that really uh, make us feel like we're kind of walking on eggshells or we can't do anything right or we have to, whenever with that person, we wind up apologizing more than we normally do. We call them crazy makers. And we are kind of entering that season right now between Thanksgiving and Christmas when most of us will probably see and spend time with our family. So today, I want to equip you and talk very briefly about how to handle crazy makers in your life from a biblical perspective, because the Bible is very practical for everyday living, and it gives us a lot of wisdom about handling all kinds of crazy makers in our life. So if you're taking notes, we gave you a page of notes today in your program. You can take that out. There are really six kind of crazy makers I want to highlight in your notes. You can kind of fill in the blanks as we go along. And the first kind of crazy maker is what I would call demanding crazy makers. These are the little Napoleons of life right? They're bossy, they're pushy, they're controlling. They like to sit at the head of the table and they they dominate every conversation and they turn it into a power struggle. They make demands. They make demands on your time, on your family, on your schedule. They push, push, push. They're demanding and they drive you crazy. Second kind I call disappointing crazy makers. These are the nitpickers of your family who are picky, 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 highly critical, very negative, always judgmental. They kind of have the spiritual gift of criticism. You know what I'm talking about? You can't do anything right. Your best is never good enough. There's always a place, they love to point out, where you could have tried a little harder or done a little bit better. They like to criticize your performance at school or your choice of a career or how you're raising your kids. You could have done it this way. And no matter how hard you try, you can never please them because they're disapproving and it drives you crazy. The third kind of crazy maker is what I would just call deafening crazy makers because they're just loud mouths, you know? I'd like to give Rick Warren credit for this. He calls them the megaphones at life, you know? With 120 decibels, they just kind of like to make their opinions known and they kind of scream and they kind of, you know, yell and make sure that you know and uh, you may even have a signal for it. Like Because if they corner, if they get you on the phone or they corner you at the table, you may be like you have a secret like uh, signal with your spouse, like help me, you know, you kind of wave the right flag because they're like, <laughs> they machine gun you to death. They will talk you into surrender. They're deafening and it drives you crazy. Now, the, the, the fourth kind is really more serious. It's the destructive crazy makers. And these are the people who have uncontrolled anger, the volcanoes in your family, Uncle Vesuvius, you know? 
We've all had volcanoes in our lives, and you know when they're going to, you, you don't ever know when they're going to erupt, but when they do, everybody knows it because their temper is like Mount St. Helens, and they blow up and explode, and they cover the, the family table with molten hot lava, and it burns everything in their path, right? If you have a volcano in your family, you know it because you kind of have to walk on eggshells a little bit all the time. And the family itself actually can live in fear of when the next blow up is going to be. A lot of tension, very high burn casualties with destructive crazy makers. And then there's discontented crazy makers, which uh, are the people who get their feelings hurt very, very easily. They're kind of the crybabies of the family. Very touchy, very thin skinned. They whine a lot. Why me? You know? kind of have a martyr's complex. They mourn and they moan, and, and they're never content, and it drives you crazy. And then finally, the last one, the demeaning crazy makers. These are the smart mouths of the family. They're rude. They're insulting. They can kind of use caustic language. They, they have that spiritual gift of sarcasm, you know? It's the woman who looks in the mirror, and she says to her husband, she says, you know what? I look fat. Give me a compliment. And he goes, well, you have good eyesight. It's just kind of insulting, you know? You know, don't, don't, don't write that down, okay? They're, they're bubble busters, you know? They like to deflate your dream and rain on moments of happiness and celebration. And they can be petty and disrespectful and just downright mean. Their demeanor is demeaning and it drives you crazy. So there you have your six kinds of crazy, and there are a lot more, but those are kind of the broad categories of crazy makers you may see in your family or even in your extended family at work, right? You're like, ah, I know that I work for that guy or at school, or even in our church, okay? Let's be honest. Now, what I want to do is give you some super practical tools from the Bible of how to handle crazy makers in your family this fall. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight for you four steps from the Bible. And what I've discovered is that each step is hard, but the step after it is even harder. In other words, the first step is hard, and then the second one, you're like, oh, I could never do that. And the third one, you're like, I'm going to need the Holy Spirit. And that's the whole point. But this is how you deal with difficult people Encounter the crazy makers in your life according to the Bible. You ready for this? If you're taking notes, all right, step number one. First thing you need to do to deal with a crazy maker is number one, you have to refuse to be offended. No matter what they say, what they do, how they behave, act or react, I refuse to be offended. And what I mean by that is I don't take it personally. Even if they're insulting or say something outrageous, you know? Reminds me of the woman who, uh, you know, she got on the bus with her baby, and as she was going up the steps, the bus driver goes, oh, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. You know, some babies are ugly, right? You know, just to be honest about that, right? And the woman walks to her seat, and she's offended, and she sits down fuming, and the guy next to her says, and she goes, you know, what's wrong? And he goes, that bus driver just called my baby ugly. He offended me. And the man next to her says, you know what? Go up there and tell him off. Come on, here, I'll hold your monkey for you. Go tell him. <laughs> right? Here's the truth. When people are rude, they're revealing their character, not yours. They're telling you what's in them, not what's in you. So don't be offended by it. It's not about you. They're just a crazy maker. See, the truth is there's a lot in life for you to get offended by. You should get offended by terrorism, by innocent people murdered, by indiscriminate killing. You should get offended by poverty when kids don't have clean water or food to eat. I get offended by injustice and racism in the world. But when it comes to personal relationships, especially family, God says, get over it. It's not about you. Instead of being thin-skinned, refuse to be offended by other people. That's what God's word counsels in Proverbs 12. Let's read the scripture together. Ready? Here it goes. It says, fools show their annoyance at once, 
but the prudent, what? Overlook an insult. That's words of wisdom from the book of wisdom, Proverbs. In other words, when someone criticizes or insults you or says something demeaning, can I just ask, how do you typically respond? Be honest, how do you respond, right? Do you go tit for tat, you know? Do you get even? They hit you, you hit them back. If they insult you, you insult them back. Proverbs says, here's, what, here's the deal. Fools, if you're a fool, you show your annoyance at once. In other words, if you're a fool, you just give what you get. But the prudent, the wise overlook an insult. Here's the truth. Emotional and spiritual maturity is largely determined by how you treat those who mistreat you. I'll say that one more time. Spiritual maturity is often revealed by how you treat those who mistreat you. How do you respond when someone is demeaning or demanding or disapproving? The wise people actually step over it. They refuse to take offense. And it's interesting to me, the older you get in life, you'll discover one of the keys to happiness is just developing a thicker skin and refusing to be offended by things. Here's the prayer every Christian should pray. Ready? God, would you give me a tender heart and a tough hide? Usually we get the opposite. When a crazy maker cuts us, we typically get thin-skinned and hard-hearted. But God says, Christian, I love you. I've filled you with the Holy Spirit, which means I can give you a tender heart and a tough hide. That's what Christians do. They step over the offense, and they look behind the behavior. In other words, whenever you deal with a family member who's offensive or irritating, they're a crazy maker, you need to look past their behavior to the pain behind it. Because everything we do and say in life is motivated by something. And when people are hurting others, typically it's because they're hurting on the inside. You've heard that maxim, right? Hurt people, hurt people. In other words, they've got a pressure. They have a pain from the past, a burden, or something painful you don't know about. And one of the ways I've found you can deal with crazy makers is to look past their offensive behavior and say, I wonder what's causing them to be short with me. Why do they feel the need to throw rocks or be critical like that? Is there something hurting them? Are they in pain? Are they feeling rejected or physically suffering? I don't know. What's the thorn in their side that causes them to be short with everybody around them. And as you look past that behavior to the background or burden, you know what? The more grace you're actually going to show them. You're going to cut them more slack. One writer tells the story of getting aboard a plane for the holidays. And as the plane, uh, you know, reached cruising altitude, these three boys got up out of their seats and started running up and down the aisle of the plane, totally out of control, just going crazy, you know, wrestling in the aisle, shouting, bumping into passengers. And people are all annoyed, right? You've been on a plane. You're just like, you know, where are the parents, right? And then they're like, there he is. There's the father sitting up front in his seat. And he just has his head on his, you know, chin. And he's looking out the window, you know, at the clouds. Not doing a thing. While his boys go nuts, driving everyone, you know, crazy. So these three boys are so rowdy, they actually tip over the beverage cart. And so finally, a guy in the back says, that is it. And he goes, I'm going to confront this deadbeat dad. And so he goes up and he says, sir, your kids are out of control. It is ruining this trip for the rest of us. We have a right to a quiet plane ride, and you're just sitting here, staring in the space while your kid's going crazy. Have some consideration. And the man said, oh, I, I'm, oh I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're flying home from a funeral. We just lost their mother. And I'm having a hard time thinking about what life is going to be like without her. I'm sorry. Let me." Get... And the man kind of slinked back to his seat. <laughs> See, perspective changes everything, doesn't it? Of course the kids are acting out. They're in shock over losing their mom. The man's blinded by grief by the loss of his wife. You have to take time to understand someone's stories and their burdens. What are the problems they're carrying? They may have a chronic condition. They may be sick. The surgery hasn't come yet. There are all kinds of battles and burdens that people carry. There are people in this church family 
who are going through divorce or a job loss or battling depression through, through a holiday season. Do you have a crazy maker in your family? What lost dreams or tears have they cried that maybe are causing them to lash out at you? Here's what Proverbs 19 says. A person's wisdom yields what? Patience. But it is to one's glory to what? Overlook an offense. Wisdom yields patience. When you understand someone's pain, stress, or wounds, it gives you grace. You actually have more patience, and God gives you grace to overlook the offense. What I'm talking about is being a grace-filled person, right? At Liquid, we say grace wins because grace is actually real love. It is unmerited, undeserved kindness. In other words, when the person has done nothing to deserve it, in fact, they deserve the opposite, but you, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, respond with grace. The more I actually have received the love of Christ and changed by the love of Christ, the more readily I step over the crazy, (laughs) the demanding, disapproving, or deafening, disrespectful actions and attitudes around me. I refuse to be offended and don't take it personally. Step number one in dealing with crazy makers. I told you this was hard. But to me, step number two is even harder. Because first, you refuse to be offended, but then second, you don't wait for an apology to forgive them. Everyone who's listening right now, we all have someone in our family who has stepped on our toes and they've done something to hurt us, maybe deeply. And we probably have the thought like, well, I know the Christian thing to do is to forgive them, and I will once they apologize. I'll forgive them once they give me an apology, and it better be the right kind, you know? And the problem, of course, is that you're still holding on to the hurt. Here's the truth. Let me just speak true to you. They may never ask for you to forgive them. They may never say they're sorry. Why? Because they're a crazy maker. And crazy makers, many of them are narcissistic. In other words, they can't empathize with your feelings. They only understand their own needs and their wants, and they don't get it. A lot of times, they don't even realize what they've done. And so, watch this, you end up stewing over something. You feel resentment over something that they have long ago forgotten, and it's eating you up inside. Now you dream of revenge, or you dread the holidays, you know? Reminds me of that verse. You know that verse? Never go to bed angry. Stay awake and plan your revenge, you know? (laughs) Revenge tears you up inside. I've heard it said resentment's like drinking a bottle of poison and hoping the other person drops dead. It actually only tears you up. So you've got to say as a Christ follower, you know what? Before anything else, I am just going to decide as a matter of habit and a matter of my heart that right here, right now, I'm going to forgive them. They don't even have to apologize or recognize they're wrong. I'm going to forgive them as Christ forgave me. See, if you're new to Christianity, Christianity's version of forgiveness is very different than the world's version. The world says, well, you know, forgive and forget. But forgiving does not mean forgetting what happened. You may always remember, but it means you stop holding on to the hurt and actually say, I'm going to put it in God's hands, even if they don't apologize, even if they have no idea what they've done. We have all had this happen, right? Have you ever hurt somebody and you actually had no idea what you did? I had this, I mean, I had a moment, like an eye-opening moment, uh, meeting a fellow pastor for lunch uh, this summer, and um, we hadn't gotten together for, for a couple years, and I was late to lunch, and I walked in. I said, hey, I'm so sorry for being late, and, you know, I was just kind of talking. He said, well, you know, before we get started, I actually need to ask you for forgiveness. I said, oh, okay. I thought that was weird. We don't really see each other too much. And he said, well, four years ago, Tim, I called your office to speak with you. And I was told, well, he's not available. He's very busy right now. He'll call you back. And you never called me back. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I apologize. I don't even remember that. He said, well, I called you back. 
And I said, could, well, could you have him call me back? And they said, sure, he's busy, but it'll be two weeks. And he said, and I thought to myself, wow, he must be really important. Can't take a call for two weeks. And then you actually never even called. And so what I did, Tim, is I actually took a red pen and drew a line through your name. And I said, I don't want to be friends with a guy like that. And for four years, I've been thinking, Tim Lucas is dead to me. This is in the first five minutes of lunch. <laughs> Needless to say, I was shocked. I, I, I had no idea that there even was a, a phone call. I don't even know who he spoke with. It never made it to me. But I said, I am so sorry. That is awful. That's exactly the opposite of the message I want to send you. But that's just not, I'm so sorry. He said, you know what? I forgive you. He said, let's let this be the start of a new friendship. And we shook hands. We had a wonderful lunch after that moment of honesty, right? But it really just struck me like I had no idea, no sweet clue how I had unwittingly offended him and rightfully so. Sometimes we hurt people and people hurt us and neither of us have any idea what we're doing. And God says, you know what? I still want you to forgive. Jesus did this under the most extreme circumstances, right? On the cross, Jesus is punched, Jesus is pierced, he's beaten and bruised, he's insulted, <laughs> spat upon, and they stretch out his hands and plunge nails into his palms. And looking down at his enemies, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, say it together, for they do not know what they are doing. Not everybody who's a crazy maker in your life is even aware of the impact they're having. Many times they're just responding to the pain and the sin in their own life, and they're just blind to the impact they're causing those they love the most. Now listen, this is not making excuses for them, but it's just acknowledging the limitations and blindness caused by sin and living in a broken world. So the question is this, how do you forgive a crazy maker in your family who's wounded you deeply? And the answer is you come to the cross for help. You look to Jesus and you say, Lord, I need, Jesus, I need your power to help me forgive them the way you forgave me. That's what Colossians 3 commands. You can see this verse in your notes. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must what? Forgive others. Circle that phrase, make allowance. The Greek for that is to, to bear up or carry or put up with. It means basically cut people some slack, right? You want people who love you to cut you some slack. And, and he's like, if you want God's blessing in your life, you need to be merciful. Make allowance. Put up with each other's faults. Forgive anyone who hurts you. And I, and I know what some of you are saying. I see you. You're sitting in the back with your arms crossed. You're like, ah, oh, Tim, it's too much, you know? If you knew what they did to me, I've carried this hurt for years, maybe even decades, and it's too big. I can never forgive what they've done, granted. You may not have the power to forgive your enemy, but God does. God does. It's why he sent his son, Jesus. First to forgive you, but then give you the power to forgive others. You know, our nation witnessed a stunning example of this after the tragic events in Charleston, South Carolina, earlier this year. You remember this in June? White supremacist named Dylan Roof entered a black church, and he gunned down nine people who were studying the Bible just the way we're doing awful act of murder and racism. Nine families shattered by the face of evil. But their response to the gunman was, I just say, supernatural. It was an extraordinary scene in the American courtroom. Today we witnessed an extraordinary moment in a Charleston courtroom. In South Carolina, victims are allowed to speak in bail hearings. And as Dylan Roof made his first appearance by teleconference from jail, 
families of the nine people gunned down during Bible study told him about the precious lives that were wrenched away. Deeply religious families gathered their courage and surprised nearly everyone. Ethel Lance, 70 years old, left five children, seven grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. A daughter spoke for the family. It's not something really precious away from me. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. 49-year-old Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor was a mother of four. A sister spoke for the family. We are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul, and I also thank God that I won't be around when your judgment day come with him. 26-year-old Twanza Sanders reportedly tried to shield others from the gunman. His mother addressed his accused killer. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Tawanza Sanders is my son, but Tawanza was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. But as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. Isn't that incredible? Could you imagine? I mean, I can't imagine it. The ability to say, I forgive you, to the person who murdered your child. It's impossible to imagine. But watch this. The gunman never apologized, and he probably never will. And yet the members of that church said, I'm going to obey God because he's going to spend his life in prison, but I'm not going to. And so they forgave. See, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. It is a supernatural response, even when there's pain and there's grief. And your flesh can never respond like that, but only the Holy Spirit inside of you can. Now, listen, as your pastor, I pray nothing even approaching that magnitude will ever shatter your family. But given the magnitude of their loss, I want you to think about your own family. Are you harboring a grudge or nursing you know, some sort of resentment or withholding forgiveness from somebody who's wounded you? I understand your hurt may be big and it may be real, but remember, with God, nothing's impossible. And to obey Christ means you don't have to wait for an apology that may never come to forgive your enemy today. So don't wait for an apology to forgive them. True forgiveness doesn't deny justice. It just means you're actually putting it in God's hands and you're trusting him to judge, which leads us to our third step. This is a very important counterbalance to step number two, because there's a misconception that Christians are weak. That to forgive someone just means you let them off the hook, right? With no consequences. Like, well, I can't let them off the hook because they'll walk all over me. I'll be a doormat to their destructive behavior. Nothing can be further from the truth, God's truth. Although we forgive those who hurt us, step number two. Step number three says we refuse to cave in. Can you say this together? Refuse to what? Cave in. To give in to their demands or destructive behavior. See, the crazy maker who's demanding or destructive or discontented, although you overlook their offense, although you offer instant forgiveness, you refuse to cave in and play their games. You do not allow crazy makers to be manipulative 
to your life. Love does not, does not give in to manipulation. And a lot of Christians fail to get this. So let me just explain this, all right? A lot of Christians think, well, I know the Christian you know, thing to do is forgive, so I'll respond to crazy makers. I guess I have to just let them have their way. Like I just sort of roll over and acquiesce and just become a doormat. Because Jesus said, well, I'll be a peacemaker, so I'll just be passive and give in to all the chaos that they create, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the weak. No, wait, the meek. Blessed are the meek, yeah. So I'll just lay down and I'll be a doormat for Jesus. Listen very carefully. There is not one single verse in the entire Bible that says God wants you to be a doormat. But wait a minute. Tim, we just talked about love and forgiveness. Yes, we did, but watch. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Let me just camp out on this a minute, ready? Forgiveness is instant and it comes by grace. But trust is earned by actions, and it takes time. In other words, forgiveness is a decision, but reconciliation, rebuilding the relationship, is a much longer process, okay? Here's an illustration I'll just kind of give you, make this super practical. If a woman's uh, husband gets drunk and beats her, let's say he's an alcoholic. One night he comes home in a rage, he abuses his wife. She kicks him out of the house, rightfully so. But he comes back the next morning, he says, I'm so sorry, I can't believe what I've done. Will you forgive me? What's the right thing to do? Should she forgive him? Actually, the right thing to do is to first call the cops because it's actually not loving to let someone continue to hurt people. But then she has to forgive him. As a follower of Jesus, she actually has to forgive him the way that Christ forgives us, which is unconditionally and instantly. She has to forgive him just to protect herself and the kids from bitterness. But then what if that guy says, thank you for forgiving me. Will you let me back in the house now? Oh, no, 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 no. Totally different matter, because that's a question of trust. See, forgiveness is offered by grace, but trust is earned through actions over time. You understand the difference? Forgiveness does not mean you forget what happened or you become a doormat with no boundaries. He has to be held accountable and take steps to change. So whenever there's behavior in a family that's destructive or dysfunctional, there are consequences. And restoration of the relationship doesn't happen overnight because trust takes a lot of time to rebuild. That's how it works even in a church family, right? A lot of Christians, again, I'm always surprised, very sloppy thinkers about this kind of thing. They see a church leader have a moral failure and they say, well, we should just, you know, kind of forgive him and just let him go on, you know? No, 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 no. Forgiveness, yes. We, we forgive instantly where there's failure, but you don't restore him to leadership instantly. They need to go through a restoration process, and that takes time because trust needs to be earned through actions. And that's sobering if you're a leader, leader of a family, leader of a business, a church, any group of people, really. Trust, guys, is earned inch by inch by inch, but trust is lost a yard at a time. <laughs> and you can break trust in a family in an instant, especially where there's abuse or betrayal. And although forgiveness can keep the family together, trust is re-earned through repeated action. It's a process. See, the Bible teaches us you never cave into crazy makers. I mean, there's a lot of examples of this in Scripture. To me, the best example is Jesus. Jesus faced down the religious crazy makers of his day. They were called the Pharisees, right? They were demanding. <laughs> they were disapproving. They were demeaning. They loved to control and manipulate people. They made all sorts of religious rules. They loved legalism. They had rules, over 600 rules people had to keep. And they hated Jesus, and they're constantly trying to trap him in his words. They play all these games with Jesus. What did Jesus do? Give in to the crazy makers? No. 
he refused to cave. In fact, Jesus told his disciples this about the Pharisees. He said, do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to even move them. In other words, he's like, they're hypocrites. All talk, no action. You ever meet religious crazy makers? They love to control people and, and say, well, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, and legalism. He's like, don't cave. Don't fall for it. And then, this is amazing, Jesus confronts the crazy makers. He says, um, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. How's that for polite dinner table talk? <laughs> you brood of vipers. Pass the potatoes, would you? It's kind of. This is Jesus talking. He's the prince of peace. And yet he doesn't crave in, cave into the crazy. I mean, this is very, very direct talk. And you'll notice Jesus confronts the crazy makers of his day and speaks truth without compromise. Guys, that's what it means to be meek meek, not weak. See, Jesus was meek. He was not weak. Those are two very different things. In Matthew 5, you know, Jesus famously said, blessed are the meek. That word meek is a Greek word used for training a wild stallion, and it means strength under control. In other words, have you ever seen a stallion, wild horse out in the wild? Powerful, right? But it's unbridled. It is totally out of control. But once they break the stallion, that's called making it meek, it's brought under control through training, and its strength is now harnessed for use by the master. And when that stallion is now broken, it's called meek. Now, here's a question. Did that horse lose any of its strength? No. Did it lose any of its power? No. In fact, it's even more powerful now because its strength is under control and being channeled for use by the master. That's what it means to be meek like Jesus, not weak. Personally, I'm not a weak person. I have a strong personality. Ask my wife about this, okay? <laughs> I try to be a strong leader. Just ask our staff. <laughs> but I go to great lengths to keep my strength under control so I'm of maximum use to Christ. You know what that means? It means I actually don't pop off whenever I feel like it, and sometimes I do. <laughs> Even when critics throw rocks or haters hate, I don't get angry. I don't fly off the handle when someone upsets me or disappoint me. I refuse to be offended when people criticize. I don't hit back but I also don't cave in. I stand strong for Christ so I can be useful to the master's hands. I remember when we were first um, starting Liquid, we were meeting in a very traditional 150-year-old Baptist church, and it was filled with 150-year-old Baptists, you know? And, uh, and Liquid was just starting, and people had never seen something like this, like the music and media and film clips and stuff. And this older couple took offense because in a sermon, I showed a movie clip from Braveheart. You know the movie Braveheart? It wasn't like no cursor or that sort of thing, but I was just trying to illustrate the sacrifice of Christ for his disciples. And so I show this movie clip, and they called the senior pastor. And they said, you need to bring Pastor Tim in because we're offended that he would show an R-rated movie in church. And so I went in, and, and, and the pastor, I, to his credit, said, well, Tim, you probably have a great reason for this. I said, I do. And I explained they were trying to use narrative to, to touch people and help them see what was happening in Scripture and how it relates to today. And so they said, well, that makes sense, but we're offended because it's R-rated, and just by, ma I don't, we don't even care if, you, you know, just, just that, that rating. And so they said, uh, and I said, well, I'm sorry, you know, you felt that way. I did, certainly didn't mean to offend you. And they said, good, so you'll never show another movie clip again. I was like, oh, no, I have one planned for this Sunday. <laughs> it's from Schindler's List. 
it's, it's redemptive violence, and what it shows is that God can actually use the most horrific situations in our world to actually show the redemptive power of the gospel. And they were like, what, what, what? And they looked at the senior pastor, they're like, he's in charge. And he backed me up. That was one of the most powerful lessons I ever had as a young leader. And I remember that and thinking, man, can you imagine caving in to judgmental religious people? I told them no. My, my senior leader backed me up. See, the ultimate strength in life is when you can stay pleasant but remain principled. You smile when you say, no way, <laughs> to the manipulators in your life. You don't be disrespectful. You listen, but you stand up for what God's called you to do. God wants strong leaders. God wants strong families. So when someone is making crazy in your family, refuse to cave into their criticism. Don't compromise. Lovingly confront. Speak the truth in love, and you just trust God with the outcome. Now, the last step that you, you, you have here is really the most difficult of all when it comes to handling crazy makers in your life. And it's this maxim, it's basically always, always take the high ground. Always do the right thing, no matter whether they do it or not. Do not trade insult for insult, return insult with kindness. So if they're unloving, you show affection to them. If they're mean, you go the extra mile, you always take the high ground. Because you can't control what other people think or say about you. You have no control over that. But you have 100% control over your response. And you can be better and respond with grace and kindness and humility. And that's actually what pleases God. The Bible says it's of great worth in his sight. Romans 12 is the classic chapter on taking the high ground with crazy makers. I want to close by reading this excerpt from Romans 12, starting at verse 14. Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and what? Do not curse. And you may be like, well, I'm not being persecuted. Just replace the word persecute with those who make you crazy. Bless those who make you crazy. Bless and do not curse. Because that, my friends, is the definition of true love. Let's be honest. It is easy to love those who are lovable, right? People who are lovely like you, James, right? But real love is when you love the unlovable. People who are prickly and hard to love. The moment they're spitting in your face, they're lobbing their verbal bombs, or they're playing their games, and you're not backing down. You're not caving in, you're standing strong, but you're actually responding with the love of Christ. That's real love. Paul continues, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And this is so important, ready? Say this out loud. If it is possible, if, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is such an important clause. Underline this in your notes. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, I'll give you permission to write in the Bible. Because the whole point is, reconciliation is not always possible in every relationship. If you have a crazy maker in your family and they're manipulative, or they're passive aggressive, or they're immature, and they don't respond well, guess what? A two-way healthy relationship may or may not be in the cards, may not be possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on who, you live at peace with everyone. In other words, you can't control their reaction. You can only control your response to them, right? You can go the extra mile. You can respond with forgiveness and compassion, even if they don't receive it or reciprocate. You can actually have peace with God. You can rest your head on the pillow at night and sleep well. Why? Because you know you've obeyed and you've done your best. And now you need to leave the outcome with God. That's what love does. Love actually lets it go and leaves it in the Father's hands. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. Who will repay? God. I will repay, says the Lord. I want you you guys to remember this because we live in a crazy world. There's a lot to judge. Every hurt, every wrong, every injustice in this broken world will be repaid one day, guaranteed by God. In other words, right now, it's not a matter of justice denied. It's justice delayed. So as we're waiting for the Father to mete out perfect justice, because we can't, we're flawed, what do we do? On the contrary, Paul writes, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, the Holy Spirit may actually use your grace and kindness to convict them. Because when your peacemaking is set in contrast to their crazy-making, it may actually prick their conscience to be honest about their own behavior. And this is the, this is the peace day resistance of Romans 12. It says, do not be overcome by evil. Let's say this together, big loud voice, ready? But overcome evil with good. To me, it, this reminded me of how um, Abraham Lincoln responded to his enemies. He had a lot of political enemies always criticizing Lincoln, always cutting his legs out from under him. But I read a biography of Lincoln, and instead of stooping to their level, President Lincoln was known for showing kindness to his enemies. And when asked about that, Lincoln explained his strategy this way. He said, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. (laughs) That's called overcoming evil with good. Now, can I ask you this? What would happen if your family actually followed how God's word teaches us to handle crazy makers in our life? What impact would it have this fall? Because this is not how the world teaches you to handle conflict, is it? Or how to deal with difficult people in the real world. This is countercultural. This is kingdom of God kind of living. Our world teaches if somebody hits you, you hit them back and you better hit harder. They can't get off the mat. And you don't get mad, you get even. But I want you to think right now, all our campuses, just think right now about all the demanding, disapproving, deafening, destructive, discontented, demeaning people in your life. Maybe in your biological family at home or your extended family at work or at school or even our own church family. Can I ask, what would happen? What would happen if you committed to follow these four steps this week in Scripture? What if you said, I'm going to refuse to be offended? I am just not going to take it personally, no matter what anyone says or how they treat me. I'm not going to wait for an apology to forgive them. You actually make a habit of forgiving instantly those who wrong you. And, now understand, they have to re-earn your trust and establish healthy boundaries, but you refuse to cave in to their craziness, to their demands, their neediness. You are not weak, you are meek. And you stand strong with confidence on principle confronting a conflict in a loving way, and you always take the high ground. No matter what, you refuse to return evil for evil, but you overcome evil with good. Can I just ask, what would happen with your crazy family? Let me me tell you what would happen. It would change. (laughs) As God changes your heart and your response, it will begin to transform your family. Maybe not overnight, but the family dynamic will change. And I can tell you this, I can guarantee this, there will be one person sitting at the table, at the head of your family's table, who will be pleased. That's your father in heaven. Your father in heaven will say, well done, my child. 
Because you're not just part of this family, you're part of my family. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you, and I put the Holy Spirit in you, and my spirit is strong in you. And I want to thank you for letting my son Jesus live his life through you. Amen? All our campuses, let's just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Would you do that with me? Bow your heads. If you're here today and you'd say, man, Tim, I have a crazy maker in my life. In fact, as, as, as we were talking, I instantly thought of someone I need God's help with. I want to pray for you today to close. So if you're here and you got a crazy maker, you're like, I need God's, God's help. And you, I'd love for Tim, I'd love for you to pray with me. Would you just raise your hand right now where you are? Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you, okay? A bunch of hands over here. Just raise your hand if you have a family member you need help with. I want to pray for you. You can kind of pray along with me quietly in your heart. You can just say, me too. Father God, you know the crazy makers in our life, and you know them by name. And so we ask right now that even when they try to hurt us, you will use it for good in the lives of your children. You can just pray very personally in your heart. God, give me the power to respond to them the way Jesus responds to me. I want to be spiritually and emotionally mature. Help me take these steps and walk by your spirit this fall. When people say things to offend me, God, help me not to take it personally and give me a tender heart and a tough hide. <laughs> and right now, without them even asking, I forgive the crazy makers in my life. Just say that in your heart. Just as Christ has forgiven me, I ask for the power not to retaliate or take revenge, but overcome evil with good. Father, there's no way we can do this on our own. And Jesus, we need your, your power. So I ask you right now, God, come into every area of our life. Control every part of us this week, our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. We surrender all of them to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.